Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. Well, welcome to Pentecost Sunday. If you're familiar with the timeline of Scripture, there was Christ's Passion Week. probably a lesson for another time, but I believe Christ was crucified on a Wednesday, because I don't know how you get three days and three nights in between Friday and Sunday, but he rose again on that first day of the week morning, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and we celebrate that at Easter time, then 40 days later, He ascends into heaven. The Bible says he was seen of his disciples and his followers for 40 days. Then he took them to the Mount of Olives outside the city of Jerusalem, gave to them the great commission, and then he ascended into heaven. And the disciples that were there were a bit gobstopped. Uh, He just floated right out of here, guys. The angel said, hey, why stand you gazing or why are you standing here staring in the heaven? The same one that went away will come back in like manner. And so they gathered their senses, went to the city of Jerusalem as they were commanded. And 10 days later, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost came. This was the first time ever that the Spirit of God, the resurrected Spirit of Christ, was sent back to reside inside of a human, inside of our soul. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and evidenced by speaking in other tongues. The day of Pentecost, the first day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, was a reunification of man's soul to its maker. Just like it was for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where they would walk in the cool of the day and commune with God. Now, we still struggle with our flesh because we don't live in a time of perfection. But we now have a connection between our humanity and his divinity. And that is the connection of his spirit coming and living inside of us. In Luke 24 and 49, he said, Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And the power of God did come and did fill them and did transform their lives. Amen. Amen. There's nothing quite like the power of God's spirit, the power of the Holy Ghost coming to live inside of us. So that's what we celebrate today. I want to maybe take a little bit of a, a different approach to Pentecost Sunday today, if, if you've been around many Pentecostal churches today, they're probably going to take their text from Acts chapter 2, and they're probably going to talk about the infilling of the Holy Ghost and its outpouring, and we will get to that a little bit, but I want to maybe dig in a little bit to some types and shadows in the Old Testament and kind of pull out some connections, because the Holy Ghost and God's plan for us is woven all throughout Scripture. So if you have your Bibles today, we're going to go to the book of 1 Kings, 
chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. give you a little bit of the setting. It's been a few years and Elijah, since Elijah had gone to King Ahab and said, Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain. It's a pretty bold declaration. And God honored the word of the prophet and it didn't rain. We know Elijah was fed by the brook, by the ravens. And all, while all this was going on, Queen Jezebel was building up her arsenal of priests and followers of Baal. And it was time for them to have a one-on-one -on -one confrontation, kind of really what it ended up being. So they all come together, right, and the prophets of Baal are doing their deal, cutting themselves and screaming, and, and Elijah's having fun with them. says, well, maybe your God's asleep. Scream louder. Maybe your God's on vacation. Be more demonstrative in what you're doing. You've got to get his attention. And after they had done this all day long, it brings us to verse 30 of chapter 18. It says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran about the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. <coughs> Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. I'm going to talk about a powerful fire. It's a powerful fire. Let's turn quickly over to the book of Luke, chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus answered, saying unto them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one, or excuse me, John answered, saying unto them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And then real quickly in the book of Acts chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 here they are together on the Mount Olives and being assembled together with them commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father which saith he ye have heard of me 
For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. You can be seated. Thank you for standing in the respect of God's word. <clears throat> Some powerful scripture we've been reading through. The story of Elijah is, is one that fascinates us and it captures our attention when you see the majestic power of God's spirit flowing and moving and doing what only God can do. In the face of insurmountable odds, Elijah says, today is the day that God will be made known to Israel. And so he challenges the, ba the prophets of Baal. And we already talked about it a bit. They went through their ritual. They went beyond their rituals. They went to the point of complete exhaustion and, and the use of every tool of manipulation that they could use to try and convince their God to answer by fire. And the heavens were silent. Not even a firefly. Nothing. Not a spark, not a twinkle. Not a stray meteorite. Nothing. Then Elijah does the incredible, he actually, in his actions, lay out for us a type of the gospel and what it means to be a disciple. If you look at what Elijah did, the first thing he did was he rebuilt an altar. This is... A requirement in all who choose to obey the gospel and all who choose to live the life of a disciple is there must be an altar in our life. Not just somebody else's altar, not an altar of remembrance, not an altar of past, not our grandmother's altar, not our, our aunt's altar, not our grandfather's altar, not even our mother or father's altar, but we all must have our own altar. And if you read the scripture, it says that Elijah had to rebuild the altar. I don't know that he had to rebuild the altar because the prophets of Baal had torn it down because he said he had to rebuild the Lord's altar, the altar of the Lord. It leads with some contextual cues in there that maybe the prophets of Baal were using altars that had been built to Baal and Elijah came back to an altar of the Lord's which had not been used. It had been abandoned. And as the wind had blown and the seasons had passed and time had come, the stones had fallen apart and they had, the altar had become destroyed. So the first thing that Elijah had to do was he had to rebuild the altar. And what is an altar? An altar is a place of decision. An altar is a place where we make commitments to God. We call this the altar area up front because we gather here and we move from our seats of comfort and we take a step of faith and we walk up to the front and we, we make a commitment to God in an altar area. It's just a place that we've dedicated to God to say, this is where my decisions are made. 
this is a, 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 a push pin in the map of my life for where my choices were solidified. Every single one of us at, at, at some point in our life ran across an altar where we said, I'm tired of, of the hurt and I'm tired of the pain and I'm, I'm tired of the struggle and I'm tired of the addiction and I'm, I'm tired of the bondage and I'm tired of the loneliness and I'm, I'm tired of feeling estranged from God. I'm, I'm tired of being out here on my own. I need something bigger than me. And we at an altar, a place of decision, said, I'm going to turn my eyes towards God. We may have even said the words, God, if you're real... Show yourself to me. This is the beauty of the altar. And it was at the altar that a decision was made. And we make those decisions. And it's on the altar after a decision is made to turn towards God. But the Bible says that he is a rewarder of them that seek him. The Bible tells us that we must believe that he is. And that's the building of an altar. That little measure of faith just says there's got to be something bigger than me I'm going to believe in. And upon that altar is death. Elijah took the bullock as prescribed. He cut it, prepared it, and set it on the altar. <clears throat> the same is true in our lives. There must be a cutting that happens in our lives when we place ourselves on an altar. It's the separation of our old life to the life that God has called us to. We literally die out to the old things that have a grip on us. And we choose and say, Lord, I'm no longer going to live in darkness, but I'm going to move towards and walk towards the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So on the altar, there is death. And you're now beginning to see the type of the gospel. It was not prescribed, but in this instant, Elijah was following the word given to him by the Lord for his prayer. He said, Lord, these are the things you've commanded me to do. And he had them gather four barrels of water. And three times they dumped all four barrels of water on the sacrifice, on the wood, covered the stones, and they had even built a trench to hold the excess water that ran off of the altar. Twelve barrels of water dumped over the sacrifice. It was thoroughly quenched. You may say it could have been submerged or, or completely covered in water. And that's what happens when we obey the gospel of Christ. We go into a watery grave. We don't just die, but we get buried in a watery grave. The Bible tells us that we are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. That's the power of His name and it's the power of obedience in being baptized in water. Elijah prayed just a simple prayer. If you'd allow me to just paraphrase. Lord, you asked me to do these things. Lord, Today, I want you to show these people that you are the true one God. The heavens open. It hadn't rained, so you can't say the clouds divided, I don't guess. 
But out of the bright blue sky, a flash of flame came falling out of the heavens. It hit the earth, but in a precise location. It wasn't random. It wasn't just some cosmic accident that happened. It was divine. It was God-ordained. It was God's hand. He sent a flaming tower of fire down, and it consumed the sacrifice, which was, was expected. It burnt up the wood, which was expected. But it, be, it went beyond just the expectation of a normal sacrifice. It took up the stones. It licked up the dust from around where the stones were sitting. And it consumed the water in the trench. This is the powerful moving of God. The fire of God falls and it consumes everything that it touches. And so this is what it's like when the Holy Ghost comes. When God's Spirit fills us and touches our lives, it consumes everything in our life. There are things that we expect the Spirit of God to consume in our lives. There are, there are things that we expect the Spirit of God to touch and, and help redirect us. The Bible says He will lead us and guide us into all truth. So we expect revelation and understanding as we're reading the Word of God. But the Bible tells us that not only does He lead us and guide us in the truth, but He is also the Spirit that must live in us to give us the power to be quickened or resurrected when He comes back to call to us. That's beyond maybe what we expect. The power of the Holy Ghost goes beyond our expectations in what it touches and moves into our life. And to be a disciple of Christ, there is a call to us, a call that we must be obedient to consecration. And consecration is simply us removing everything that is not like God out of our lives. And we see that example with Elijah. After the fire fell, the people said, oh, he is God. And then they turned around and they removed all the prophets of Baal from their life. That was an act of consecration. And so that is what happens when the power of God moves on our lives. We remove those things that are unlike God out of our lives, those things that hinder us. In living for God, we remove them out of our lives and we become more consecrated to Christ. So you see in the story of Elijah, the gospel, we see in this story of Elijah our responsibility to be a disciple of Christ. It wasn't just Elijah offering sacrifices for God to to prove himself strong and as the one true God. But in Leviticus chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, we see there's a prescription that's, that's given for sacrifices. It says, And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest, sons of Aaron, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. 
and his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet and savor unto the Lord. There is something we learn by the instructions given to the Levitical priesthood that you can't have sacrifice unless you have fire. Every sacrifice required fire. It wasn't enough just to take the animal and to kill it. It wasn't enough just to drain the blood from the animal. It wasn't enough just to place the blood from that animal on the horns of the altar. It wasn't enough just to take the, the blood of that animal into the holy place and place it on the horns of the altar of incense. It wasn't enough just to kill the animal and take its blood and place it on the mercy seat in the holies of holies. There was another step that was part of the sacrifice. That step required fire and it required that every part of the sacrifice after it had been rightly divided would be placed upon the wood that was on fire upon the altar and it would be consumed by the fire every sacrifice requires fire and maybe it's a long introduction and I'm well into the message today but our topic today is sacrificial fire. Sacrificial fire. Because you can't have a sacrifice if you don't have fire. We see this repeated again and again and again in the Old Testament. Even before the prescription was given to the Levites through the Mosaic Law, we see that Abraham offered sacrifices using fire it was it was common it was a, a way of consecration it was a way of of going to God and saying I will give this to you and it's complete there will be nothing part of it held back there will be no part of it withholding from you God I will give everything to you the fire falls and it consumes everything even when the fire was placed on the altar, it consumed everything. Romans 12 and 1 teaches us that sacrificing did not end with the death of Christ. But sacrificing continues. Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So now we see, rather than having the sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs and turtle doves and pigeons, rather than having sacrifices that we have to divide up and kill and shed its blood and place it on an altar and, and, and light a fire under it to burn it, we now see that the sacrifice is to be a living sacrifice. But if the principle of God is every sacrifice requires fire, how do you have fire and live at the same time? Well, I remember three Hebrew children 
who said, I won't bow. I'm not going to surrender. I'll stand in the face of a, a prideful king who builds a golden image after himself and makes a decree because he was, he was tricked into making this decree and saying that everybody at the sound of the music will bow and worship this idol, this golden image which looked like the king. And so the music began to play and there were three heads sticking up in the crowd. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, no, 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 we're not going to bow. And they were reminded. You remember the punishment to those who would not bow. They were to be thrown into the fiery furnace. We'll play the music again. Give you the opportunity to bow. And they said, it doesn't matter. If you play the music again, we're still not going to bow. Our Lord will deliver us. And so they cranked up the heat on the fire. It was so hot that the guards or the soldiers who had put them in bondage and threw them into the furnace lost their lives from just the radiating heat from the fiery furnace. And these three young men thrown into the fire land at the bottom and probably look at each other and say, I don't know why I can see you and I hope you can see me. But it's bright in here, but it sure is comfortable. And the king looks over the edge into the furnace. My assumption is that they turned it down by now. He says, I don't see the three that we threw into the fire. I see four in the fire. And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. I'll tell you how you can have fire and still live in the midst of the flame. you got to have Jesus with you. When Jesus is with you, the fire does not consume you. The fire sets you free. When they were removed from the fire, they didn't have to unloosen the bondages that had them tied together. The ropes burnt off, but they didn't even smell like smoke. You figure that one out. They were delivered by the presence and the power of God. Can I tell you today that you don't have to go into a fiery furnace of literal fire and, and have the presence of God be with you to be a living sacrifice but if you'll surrender your heart and mind and soul to God and you'll cry out to Him with complete surrender to His will for your life, if you've repented of your sins and you've opened your heart to Him, He will fill you with the infilling of the Holy Ghost and fire and you can then have the fire of God consume your life and you can be a living sacrifice. It was literal tangible burning fire that was the sacrificial fire of the Old Testament. But for the New Testament and the New Covenant, the sacrificial fire is the infilling of the Holy Ghost inside of us. For John prophesied that Jesus would come and he would baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. 
Thank God for the fire that burns inside of us. Thank God for the fire that burnt off the chains and the ropes and the bondages of our life. Thank God for the fire of the Holy Ghost which liberated my mind from its confusion. Thank God for the fire of the Holy Ghost that burns inside of me and gives me freedom and hope and liberty in Jesus Christ. For it is Christ in you. It is just like the theophany of God that walked in the fiery flames with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So does Christ come and live inside of us by the infilling of his spirit. He said, except my spirit abide in you and you abide in me, you are not one of his Hey, it's the scripture. I believe the Bible for everything that it says. And how does Christ live in me? By the infilling of his spirit. By his power coming to live inside of me. It is the sacrificial fire of today. I'm so thankful for the fire of God to burn inside of us. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the cover of night Lord you are some great rabbi we know you're a rabbi we know you're, you're something special because we see all the miracles that you're doing in his religious prestige he was a Pharisee he began the conversation with let's build him up and see if I can't get some of the secrets out Let's put the schmooze factor on and see if we can't coax him to tell me his secrets. I do think Nicodemus came with a pure intent because he's seen something in Christ that he hadn't seen in all the other religious leaders of his day. The Bible tells us that there was a man named Nicodemus who gave up his grave for Christ to be buried in. Was it the same Nicodemus? We can't say for certain, but maybe. Nicodemus tries to build up Christ, and, and, and Jesus just sidesteps the accolades. He sidesteps the buttering up. He says, you must be born again, Nicodemus. Hold on, I don't get it. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I want to tell you today, the life that we live requires death at an altar. And it requires to be buried in the waters of baptism. But we are not to live a life just of death. God has called us to life and life more abundant. And we don't live for God in death, but we live for God in life. And we are made alive by the power of His Spirit. We are born of the water and we are born of the Spirit. Pentecost is all about being brought back to life. And that's what His Spirit does to us. His Spirit makes us alive in Christ. Romans 8 and 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also dwell in you, shall also quicken your mortal bodies 
by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Just as Christ was resurrected from the tomb, so we must be resurrected in Christ. Yes, we die out to our old life. And yes, we, in the spirit world and in our soul, we surrender ourselves completely to God. We completely die out to the past. But how do I get out of the grave of repentance? How do I get out of the watery grave of baptism? How do I get past dying? How do I come back alive in Christ? It's by the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's by the infilling of His Spirit that we are made alive. Our bodies are quickened into life. And not just us who are alive and died out in repentance but those who are living for God and die in their, in their mortal bodies, it tells us their body will be quickened by the Spirit of God. When the trump of God sounds, what opens the grave for me to get out? What empowers me to be resurrected to meet Him and all the saints who are alive and remain in the sky? It's the power of His Spirit. Could I boldly declare to you today, and I'm actually coming to a close with the message, but I think God wants to speak to us today. If one hasn't been filled with the Holy Ghost, just like the book of Acts teaches us, evidenced by speaking in tongues, they have died and been buried. But I want to know, have they come alive? Have they been brought back to life by the Spirit of God? It's very likely that they are just a dead person walking around. Their self-disciplines are what help them live a life pleasing to God. Their self-discipline is what helps them live a life that's pleasing to our master. But I want to tell you today, it's not in our good works that God is pleased. It's not in my ability to make right decisions that God is pleased. But it should be by the power of the Holy Ghost working in me, leading me and guiding me every day that I walk. Every step that I take should be a call from heaven through His Spirit directing me where to live and where to walk. It's His Spirit that filters my thoughts. It's His Spirit that filters my words. It's His Spirit that filters my attitude. It's His Spirit that directs me in every part of my life. Because I've been consumed by the fire of the Holy Ghost. And His fire is what makes me alive again. His fire is what comes to a dead and shriveled up soul that's been lost in the grips of sin. It's the fire that ignites that soul and brings it back to life. I need the fire of God burning in my life so that I could be a living sacrifice, pleasing to God. Because according to the word of God, Dying isn't enough. I must be brought back to life by His power. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.